Welcome back to the History of Rock. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Class is in session. New cameras. You like this? This is uh new camera. New camera, camera for you, and I dig it. New camera. Yeah. Got a bunch of lights. It's really bland behind me. You can see my comb here as I was combing my beard yeah. out before we started this bad boy here. Could do a little bit of this. A little bit of this. Ooh, and I forgot to tell you, That's... I do have a surprise for you. Yeah, what's that? So I had mentioned as we're recording this, uh, we generally record these on the Mondays before the Monday that it actually drops. So today is uh, May 23rd, and I went and spoke to my kids' um, class today. She's fourth grade, so I we went and did a career day. And they were all super excited because the gamer guy was coming in because that's what I get paid to do now. I actually get paid to play video games. So I went and picked something up that had been completed, and I don't know if you can see that there. Wow. That's is that the sticker, the sticker? That's the, the sticker. sticker, baby. That looks so really that one. flush, doesn't it? And they're nice, good quality stickers, too, man. And we have this one yeah. here. Nice. I like that. The History Class of Rock Podcast. Session. Class is in session. We in got session. that. And like. then uh, the, the, uh, the the piece de, la, de resistance or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah. Right there. That's awesome. <laughs> it's not fair to deny me the cross-eyed bear that you gave to me. I and love it's where, our merch. And the bear, and the stuffed bear, is wearing a History of Rock t-shirt. I love our merch. I really love it. So That's if anybody fantastic. watching this, if you guys want to order these things, we're getting them in now. Uh, the t-shirts, I believe, I just got an email from Viva La Mocha today that said that that is being printed as we speak. Like there's probably machines yes. turning this stuff out now. And so there's yep. three different types of t-shirts, we're, it's, and it's these. So I will have <laughs> mine that's got the real Brandalorian logo on it. I have the one that is the History of Rock podcast. And then we also have one that is going to be... Uh, the old cross-eyed bear. We talked about doing one that would somehow be the um, da, 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 the mm-hmm. shave and haircut two bits. Um, yeah, we we got to work and on that one. We, still, and we got to get through yeah. this merchandise first because it was it was pricey, <laughs> like it wasn't yeah. cheap. So if you would like to uh, <laughs> order some of the merchandise, it would be uh, very much grateful because essentially any of the money that we make on the merchandise, we're going to be putting back to more merchandise uh, and advertising for this as well. So if you go to VivaLamoca.com on the top of the page, you'll see the real Brandalorian up there. Click that link and it's going to take you all to, uh, all to all of my stuff right there. So it's a real Brandalorian, History of Rock, and all this fun stuff. So go there. I think the stickers are going for five bucks a pop. And the t-shirts range depending on the size. I think it's 25 to 28 Dollars. Mm. So there you go. Yeah. Check it out. VivaLamoca.com. Now, in this Viva La Moca. of the podcast, as we're talking about uh, mud hunting, had a lot of blasts. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I mentioned this in the previous episode. It was a lot of fun watching the documentary on mud mm. honey. It's called I'm Now, the, the Story of Mud Honey, I think is the full name or something similar to that. We'll get to that at the end of the podcast. But just to give you guys kind of a, a real quick um, recap of the stuff that we had talked about is is we know that you know mud honey they formed in 1988 after Green River broke up um, it, they're kind of like the like the grunge band really because they the were OG opening, grunge band they were the ones opening or uh, they had like the big bands opening up for them like it was yeah the last thing that we talked about in the previous episode it had to do with Soundgarden opening up for mud honey like stop That's and think about crazy. that yeah. so we can go ahead and we can dive right in here. Uh, with the very next one, as we talked about, the last ar- uh, item that we discussed was the friendly riot, if you will, when uh, Mark the Arm, friendly riot, the That's lead a good singer, name for a band. And he's, yeah, he's just like, hey, let's uh, 
come on up here and everybody jump up on stage. And then the stage collapsed. I mean, thankfully, nobody got hurt. Um, but our very next thing here, it had to do with there was a show at the Moore Theater. This was June 9th, 1989 in Seattle. And it was a pretty big deal because to play there and to be a headliner was big because the Moore Theater definitely packed more people. They would always frequently play these clubs that were smaller. Um, and you could definitely tell that it was just a lot of um, other members of bands that were there kind of watching each other. And that's what made the Seattle scene um, so close-knit was because you would have Soundgarden performing and there were probably guys from, you know, uh, Mud Honey or Green River, or like depending on the date, watching yeah. them perform. So performing at the Moore Theater was a pretty big deal. The lineup, which was headlined by Mud Honey, opening for them, Nirvana. That's insane. Nirvana was. But it the must opener. be cool. It must be cool for the remaining members of Mud Honey for their kids and grandkids to be like, "Oh, you like they start blast, blasting out, Daddy, I just discovered Nirvana," and be like, "Bitch, they open for me." <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and that's so. That was, Nirvana dope. was the opener, and then Tad. That's another band that you hear a lot of when you're kind of like falling into this grunge rabbit hole. Is that you have some of these other bands. Tad was another big one back in the day and then of course mud honey was your headliner and this was sort of a coming out party as the show was sold out which really showed them that their music was now reaching more people than just the people who were in the other bands it was truly reaching the suburbs and outside of the, the just the specific seattle music scene because they were able to sell out this venue which was a pretty big deal and this was around the same time that they said uh <laughs> That the band, the band actually said, we're not pleased with this album. When it came to their second album, the exact quote was, we didn't raise the bar any. Yeah. Which I think is so perfect for a teen angst, anti-establishment grunge band to be like, yeah, we didn't raise the bar any. <laughs> yeah, that was Steve Turner that said that he was the guitar yeah. player. And yeah, that's fantastic. In that documentary, you can definitely tell that they were like, yeah, we really like that first album. It was great. And then when they get to the second album, which I think actually came out the year after, I think it might have been 1990, and they mm. were like, yeah, we weren't biggest fans of that <laughs> album. That's kind of how it went down. So <laughs> it was after that album that Steve Turner, he decided that he wanted to go back to school. So rumors of the band breaking up started to emerge, and the band didn't technically break up, but they did take a break. Now, how that went down, you can talk to Ross or Rachel from Friends, depending on how taking a break goes down. Well, Dan Peters ended up playing drums for Nirvana. Was that the drummer before Dave? There was a few drummers, oh, right? Oh, so the, here's the here's the really interesting thing on this, because this right. would have been right around the time Nirvana was going to make it big. Bleach had already been released, because this was around 1990, so it's about a year after right. that. Right, so, right. He even ended up doing a photo shoot with Chris and Kurt for Nirvana, uh, meaning right. um, Dan Peters did. But the whole time, the band pretty much knew Dave Grohl was already going to be their permanent drummer because he was there. He was he was around. He was at the photo shoot. He just wasn't the drummer that they took the pictures with. And so he ended up, and he kind of knew it, um, that's painful, man. Yeah, right? That's got to be like, that's like watching someone else do your girlfriend in the room being like, okay. like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's, I, he knew it. Maybe so. I, at least I get a little turn at some point. Thanks. So, yeah, not much fun. 
and, how much and, further can we go with the sex analogy that doesn't really work? <laughs> how far, how long can we just let it hang in the air? Well, but she said he after Nirvana. Oh, no, hold on. Yeah. So then after Nirvana, he ended up and he went and played uh, drums for Screaming Trees a bit, which Screaming so Trees he was in one of my, you know, yeah. like I love that band. So he was what? But it's, I was going to say Screaming Trees. It's they're a great band, but it's got to be. I remember uh, the, the in the documentary about the Foo Fighters, they actually said like the guy who was the drummer in the Foo Fighters originally, it's stupid pressure for any drummer to have to be in the same vicinity mm-hmm. as Dave Grohl. So to be in the room with him watching photo shoot and you're like, and you got to know that it's like, there's no way I'm better than you. There's no one in the world that's going to go, oh yeah, you're way better than Dave. Like, yeah. you know, he's there. He's coming for your girlfriend band. So yeah. And they said, and they said it was it, like, it, it, they bring this up in the documentary because they show pictures of the photo shoot. It's the band. It's it's they're on like a stoop, and I think Kurt is in the front, and then you have Chris here, and then Dan Peters is in the back. And yeah. he's like, yeah, he's like Dave Grohl was at that photo shoot, man. That's so backwards, man. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it feels awkward. like there should be a little bit of a linear format to it, but that's just like, yeah, that's weird. So going back to it in '91, Sub Pop was ready to close their doors. They'd laid off everyone and shipped some albums off to Japan as a last hurrah. But Mudhoney, who actually never stopped practicing together, ended up releasing Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge. The album ended up selling more than 100,000 copies. After that release, the band left Sub Pop for Reprise Records. Thank you for that, Brandon. Uh, The band leaving allowed the label to survive just a bit longer and Nevermind then happened. And of course, as we know, Nevermind was on the Sub Pop label. I had to write Reprise in there because, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I'd say it. I was going to say Reprise. I really was. Reprise Records. And then you would have had to make a thing about it. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting the hang of this. We're getting the hang of this. Yeah. Yeah, You know how it goes. So Mark Arm, uh, he admitted, uh, yeah, he did like a, a lot of heroin back in the day because that was it's good to admit kind of the drug of choice for a lot of grunge band. I mean we talked about it with um, with Allison Chains especially like with Lane Staley Kurt Cobain yeah. obviously struggled with it well and uh, Mark mentioned that he actually OD'd a few times where he ended up in the hospital but he would always keep it secret from people and people would hear like hey so I heard you OD he's like no that wasn't me man like no I'm all good like he played off like it was nothing right and he ended up in a band called Blood Loss and this was I would assume, like this is where it's weird because I'm always wondering about calling something a side project because of something that happened very early on in my radio career because you generally think okay you're in a band Mud Honey pretty big band any band other than that it's going to be like a, quote, side project, right? Hmm. Just don't ever tell Les Claypool that. Les Claypool of Primus. Tracking uh, like a fool? Oh, he... I don't even remember And all which, other bands with the demos that were cool? No, I no? don't even remember which... It? I'm, uh, huh? That's a lyric from a Limp Bizkit song. Les Claypool <laughs> for acting like a fool. And all of the bands with the demos that were cool. Let's track 13 from... Uh, yeah, you get it now. Significant other. Okay, you got to um, be... See, this is the history of rock. There is like... I don't know anything I was trying, about like, the Genesis reason, of Zeppelin, to, but yeah, the Genesis I was trying to of, rope like, together like yeah. a Primus song. Yeah. Like, what? That was the um, first time because that was the first time that I heard Les Claypool's name. Uh, I didn't know that that was the guy's name. Yeah, so Les Claypool, lead singer of Primus, <laughs> uh, the bass player, the guy who tried out for Metallica, by the way, um, and was told by Metallica, "You're too good. We don't want you yeah, here." Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, there was um, a guy that I worked with in Eugene, Al Scott. God bless Al Scott. The guy's amazing. Um, and he was interviewing Les Claypool. I can't remember which band of his it was. If it was like uh, Buckethead or... Because Les Claypool has all these different bands. Right. And there was one, and, and I think they had just released an album, so... Al brought up to him, so like your side project and whichever one it was. And Les was, he did not take kindly to it. There's no such thing as a side project. It's my band. Oh, and we're all kind of like, Jesus, like, okay, like, we're sorry to offend you so greatly about calling it a side project. But anyway, the long story short here. But it would be a little, wouldn't it be a little bit weird if you're in the interview talking about the main project to go, oh, so let's talk about your main project. Like, it's a bit disrespectful to what you're there to promote, to be like, oh, and you're doing another thing, which you didn't really come here to talk about, but we just wanted to mention it. No, no, there are no side projects. Well, then what the fuck is it? Yeah. Is it the it main just... pro- Like, where's your, pro- where's your priority? Everything's equal. Well, don't tell that to the guys you're working with today, because they'll just feel like, anyway. Oh, I'm sorry, not Bucket. It was, uh, so, yeah, it was Oysterhead, I think, is the one that he was he was promoting. He also had the Frog Brigade. Okay. And anyway, so it's it, that's that was just the whole weird thing with, with Les Claypool. But anyway, because as we're talking about Mark Arm being in this other band called Blood Loss, it's, I, I get really wary of calling things side pro. Like, I have trauma from this moment with Les Claypool. Because wow. it's like, well, shit, is somebody going to get super upset if I call this a side project? Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. But anyway, so he was in a band called Blood Loss, and one of the guys was like currently doing heroin while he was in that band with him. So right. Mark Arm was asked by somebody, like, is that hard for you? Is it difficult being in a band with somebody who is, you know, is actively doing heroin, knowing that you're kind of recovering from that? And he said, no, it's a reminder of what I don't want to be. And he appreciated hey, being go. in that band because it was a constant reminder that used to me used to be me. I'm glad I'm not that guy anymore. That actually is a good way to look at it, isn't it? It's a really good way to look at it. And it's funny because you never hear that whenever Alcoholics Anonymous, this sort of thing, they say, like, we're going to support each other, not drinking. If you do find one guy coming in like a drunken buffoon, it's a nice little smack in the face to go, damn, I used to be like that. Um, There was a song on the 95 album, My Brother the Cow. Where did they get these names? (laughs) My Brother the Cow that Courtney Love thought was about her. Well, so think well. Think about the timeline here. So this is '95, so this was right after right. Kurt Cobain died. Yeah, well, there there must have been a lot of songs that were written about Courtney Love at this time. A lot of people had feelings, right? I remember. I I, I remember. I learned everything I needed to know about Courtney Love when I saw what she said at his funeral. You remember what she said? I remember a lot of different parts. Which one do you mean specifically? She told everyone attending the funeral to say, fuck you, Kurt. Oh, yeah. Because now you're not here. Yeah. She like totally you took him, yourself away from us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Go where watch. we'll end the, the that's where we'll end the little snippet. Go watch. So- that's going to be a good one. Go watch. So I got to make a note of that. Hold on. I didn't even have my pen and paper out. The Go funny thing is that while you're, that so while you're trying to hold in your laughter, you look like the guy before his head was on the train tracks. You look like that dude when you're like, when he was laughing about it, dude, for, what is it? Curtin Courtney or what's it called? I thought it was soaked in bleach. Isn't it the one that, that goes back and like basically says that, yeah, she totally had him murdered. Yeah, there's one do- for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. There is a documentary. We should probably look up which one it is. Mm, it's like a docudrama. A docudrama. Yeah. But they were going into the investigation on how Kurt Cobain died and the fact that there was a lot of mysteries and uh, loose ends. And they eventually found a guy 
who lived in a trailer park and was a little bit off the little bit left to center that said, and this is not me insinuating. This is what he said in the documentary. He said, yeah, she came and gave me money and said, go and take care of him. Go and go and kill him. And that's his testimony on camera. And then when the documentary maker went back a couple of weeks later to follow up, he had mysteriously died on a set of train tracks, apparently got drunk, fell off, uh, fell over on a set of train tracks and then got run over by a train. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think anyone, I personally don't believe. And I don't know if anyone else would believe that. Well, it, it's a lot of the stuff it's pointing to the amount of drugs that were in Kurt's system and the fact that he used a shotgun and the kind of shotgun the way that he would have had to have positioned himself to do yeah. it. It's and- a really it's a really interesting documentary because they really go through every detail and and be like, this doesn't add up in multiple ways, especially the fact that like his last his last suicide note, the last two sentences are effectively in someone else's handwriting. And it's so fucking noticeable. It's so noticeable. And and no one really my thing is and um, now that we're talking about it, my, yeah. my first thought is fucking Dave and Chris would have to know, like they must have a feeling in their gut and they can never talk about it. Apart from the fact that it's too painful, it's it's classless, it's, you know, like it, it's not, they don't have necessarily evidence to back up what they're saying, but I'm sure if you got them drunk at a party and they wanted to talk about it, they'd be like that motherfucker. They'd fucking, <laughs> they'd be like, did you read that note? Did you look at this shit? And like that was my fucking and that's friend. All the kind of like stuff they that, must. That's, that's all it pointed to. Like I found it's on the Wikipedia page here. There was uh, um, Vernon Geberth, I'm guessing. It was a former homicide detective who was among some of the experts interviewed in the docudrama. Posted an article on his practical homicide investigation website and Facebook page stating that he was quote was not happy that the producers of Soaked in Bleach made it appear that he agreed with their homicide theory unquote. Mm-hmm. He stated further that he, quote, made it quite clear that he believed that Kurt Cobain took his own life and backed up his opinion with the facts that he obtained from the Seattle Police Department's homicide division coupled with his own experience in suicide cases. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy, man. So go watch Soaked and Bleach, though. It's, it's entertaining. Yeah, yeah go watch Soaked and Bleach. It, so. Take it for what it is. And so we should probably... So going back to this, Courtney Love thought that the song My Brother... the. No, the album. The album was my brother. The album, my brother-in-law. He thought the whole thing was about her. She called and complained to Reprise Records. The song was called "Into Into Your Stick." Into your stick. Yeah. So here's where we got the guitar. Lyrics. These are the actual lyrics. I need you to sing this. I don't know. You know, I don't know the song, right? That's fine. It doesn't have to sound like the song at all. I mean, we could do it speaking word like. Captain Kirk, do a little William oh. Shatner. Don't you minute, a minute, indebted. Demented, indebted, demented to all the assholes just like you who've come and gone before you. Predictable, just play it all. Why don't you scroll down a little further until you can see the words? Blow your fucking brains out, too! You're into your shtick. Yeah, okay, You're so-, so into your shtick. My favorite thing from that documentary as well, by the way, is that she apparently walked around with a British accent for a long time before she met up with um, Kurt. And she was dating a couple of guys who were also in 
She was dating a couple of guys that were also in bands and she would just walk around clubs talking like this. I just got back from the UK and now I talk like this for no apparent reason. Oh, see, that's how I start all of my live streams now, except I just do it because I'm acting like Sharon. I'm like, hey, mate, how you doing, mate? Hey, the fuck are you guys? Hey, yeah. <laughs> Mother the fucking thing, go ask your blow, Why don't you blow your brains out too? That That's definitely about her though. Well, That's definitely about okay, her. so we're going to get to that in a minute. So just for anybody okay. who, like, for the actual lictions, you're so tormented, demented, indebted to all the assholes just like you who've come and gone before you, predictable, just plain dull, why don't you blow your brains out too? You're so into your shtick. So it's Arm a great said, last line. The song wasn't necessarily about Courtney Love. Uh, but when he's talking about the subject of the song, he said, it's a much broader shot than that, but she definitely fits. <laughs> so I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, but. Yeah. That's one of my, that's one of my second favorite quotes in rock and roll. And my favorite quote in rock and roll history is when little Richard, and it's just such a fucking gangster quote. Little Richard, when Rolling Stone was doing the top 50 most influential people in rock and roll. And they would write, they would have famous people write about other famous people. So El, um, the person that wrote about uh, fucking like Johnny Cash wrote about someone else and someone else wrote about Johnny Mitchell and all this stuff, but it was people that came up together. Little Richard wrote about Elvis Presley. And the first thing that he said was, everyone says that I'm the real king of rock and roll. I don't say that, but I agree with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I was like, that's the, and it's on Elvis Presley's memorial. And the first thing he says is, bitch, that was me. <laughs> that's pretty rock star, like, man. That's gangster. It's fucking rock star as fuck. You better not, you better have all your fucks better be gone to be able to write something like that. Um, After signing with Reprise, I'm doing it on purpose. Uh, They would take the... <laughs> They would take the upfront money, produce the album on the cheap, and then pocket the rest. Well, that's what every band should do. By 1998, the label was onto them with a new head of the label. They knew they couldn't get away with it, so they, <coughs> pardon me, they actually used all the money to produce the album, and that's how Tomorrow Hit Today was done. So Tomorrow Hit Today, they actually used the full album budget. Is yeah. that to say why their first few albums sounded so bad? Well, yeah, it's not was bad, but they're sonically they're they're not. Yeah, good. you could tell it wasn't done in like a really high end studio, essentially. Yeah, because I think that that's yeah. the sound that they were going for. That's what they wanted. So, right, and they were able to take kind of these large checks that they were getting from yeah. Reprise Records, and <laughs> and then see, I mean, we're gonna start saying it now. And what's gonna happen is that's gonna get embedded in my brain, and then I'm gonna say it incorrectly. At some point, important. I'm going to say reprise, and it's going at to be some shit. point, I would like you to go and get us an Adidas endorsement. So you have to say it that way every fucking <laughs> not, week. Wait, not Nike. Nike. No, not Nike. 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 I prefer my Nikes to my Adidas. Fucking Adidas. Nike. Adidas. All right. Well, we're getting I'm to put the, on my uh, Nikes before I wrestle this crocodile. <laughs> Hey, how you the fuck you doing there, mate? We're gonna play some video games tonight. Which, by the way, that's another thing I want to I want to plug here really quick for anybody that's tuning for in to the History of Rock podcast because we're getting to the end here of um, uh, of Mud, Mud Honey. Honey. Mud Honey is that Mud um, Honey's the band that we're doing. The name of the band is Mud Honey. Mud Honey, and they were signed to Reprise Records. Reprise. Uh, so reprise. Um, yeah. Mud so, Honey. are you gonna game with us? 
coming up, man. Dude, yes, I am definitely going to game with you. I, I explained it on the stream and then you got sick. Dude, just so for everyone in the knows, my family, this household, and most people in Australia have been sick for the last two months. There have been three flu bugs that have gone around and it has not stopped raining and we've been moving house. So we've been sick for the last five weeks straight. So I'm very sorry, but yes, I'm looking forward to coming and gaming with you. All I right. just have not been able to, yeah. Because what we've been doing is um, we've been playing a game called Phasmophobia. So for anybody who's yeah, yeah, tuning yeah, yeah, into yeah. this podcast, they don't know about that game. It's a ghost hunting game. And we have some hilarious clips. And everybody's been waiting for Shim to join us because we want to get his. There's kind of levels of when you play Phasmophobia. So you're being a newbie. It's kind of creepy. It's freaky. And we're hoping to get some really good freaked reactions. out reactions from Shim. <laughs> Because we've now gotten confident <laughs> enough to kind of know what we're doing. I mean, the first week we played it, so we, we do this over on the original Gamer Life YouTube channel. So if you could, if you're watching this podcast, if you're here on my YouTube, on Shim's YouTube, or Spotify, or Apple, or whatever. By the way, if you're, if you're listening on Apple, you're missing a whole level of this podcast because you don't get to see us. Look at these pretty goddamn faces. I bought this is what I'm doing with the camera. I look bought this, a goddamn Elgato face cam camera. It's amazing. And you're missing out if you're listening you're missing, on Apple. You're missing it. But anyway, it. Um, and you can check us out on YouTube and all that other crap, but whatever. Um, go to Original Gamer Life on YouTube, and you can see a lot of the footage that we do because we do a bunch of shorts, and then we also do live streams over there. And then, is it Thursday you're going to be able to join us, do you think? Yeah. Your yeah, Friday, my Thursday, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So what we're hoping to do is we'll get Shim on, and then you can simulcast it. So you can watch Shim on his channel over at, just on Twitch, and then you can watch us over on Original Gamer Life on YouTube. But anyway, I just wanted yeah. to plug that here really quick because remember, Excellent. We, got, we got stickers. So we got we got uh, a couple more. <laughs> we got a couple more. <laughs> yeah, so I Matt love Lucan. the cross-eyed bear. That's uh, right, right. Fucking here, mate. Look at that fucking. Right, fucking here, Look mate. at that fucking thing. Yep. That fucking so sticker. Matt Lurkin left. Matt Lukin, Lurkin, Lukin, Lurkin, Jerkin. He left the band. Lurkin left uh, the band in the year two thousand. Remember Conan O'Brien used to do that. Uh, Guy yeah. Madison took over on bass, and um, he had actually played with Mark Arm on the bland band Blood Loss. Okay, Mudhoney's last album was called Digital Garbage. Great fucking name. And it was released in 2018. Yeah, Digital Garbage. That's a good name for a band. I like they're, that. They're, uh, they, I, I'm impressed with how they name things. It's it's something yeah. that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Although yeah, they, yeah. I think some of those early band names were the ones that we like, Mr. Epp and the Calculations. <laughs> I think yeah. that was the stuff yeah. that was a little iffy. But there's still a band, and like we mentioned this in the previous episode, if you order anything from Mud Honey, like if there's a special edition vinyl or something like that, because that was something that they did back in the day when they were on Sub Pop, was. They were, I believe it was described in the episode as they wanted a shit brown colored vinyl record. And that's what they were trying to do for Mud Honey. And they were like, yeah, we kept getting these other different colors. Like one was like a baby, baby diaper shit, but we wanted like a real true brown shit. And that's what ended up getting shipped out there um, for the, the color of their album. That's, but that's it, commitment. That's I commitment. Highly, that's some, Yeah. I highly recommend checking out I'm Now, The Story of Mud Honey. It's available on YouTube. It's the documentary. It's one of the things that I watched while prepping for this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I gained an even bigger respect for Mud Honey, uh, Mark Arm, and Steve Turner and the guys. Uh, now, as far as the playlist goes, I added Touch Me, I'm Sick. That Remember, that was really the first big Mud Honey slash grunge song that made it outside of Seattle because it made yep. it overseas. It actually made it over to England, and it was a big, big song over there. 
So, like I had mentioned before, especially with Green River, we were doing the whole band. It's a couple EPs and a, and a full-length album, and now we have all of Mud Honey's entire collection. If there's a song anybody wants specifically on this, the whole point of this playlist is fluid. If you can, if you can get through an album, if you can sit through this shit. Wow, so, no, come on, hating it on Mud sounds, Honey. It's no, I'm not hating on the band. I just, I'm like, it's. After a while, your ears get tired because th- they just said we didn't spend any money on our records. We kept all the, sh- the money. So, like, it sounds like a band. Wow. You know what their Throwing records shade. sound like, Brandon? Their records sound like a band that didn't spend any fucking money making the record. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> so if you want to go and listen to a record that sounds like no one gave a fuck and they just pissed it out in a week and said, just get it done, get it out, keep the money. Then go and listen to Mud Honey. Well, I don't think it's that they get, didn't give a fuck. I think it's that they they just no, the engineers and the producer didn't give. Yeah, a fuck. they just weren't they were like, they weren't looking to go get it done by the highest priced engineers and the highest priced producers. Yeah. They just wanted to yeah. you know, and not even in the best studios. And, it, and you know, and you, you can definitely hear and it, on the best instruments or with the best microphones nothing, or like, with I multiple mean, takes or like like you're making a nothing, just basically put some microphones on the drum kit and the guitars, play all the songs once, and fuck off. Not, <laughs> nothing matches gunfight, my man. Nothing matches. Gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to not be funny. Oh, uh, on this date, February yeah. 2nd. Let's go through it. Let's go through it. So I picked February 2nd, 1996, because there was a movie that Mud Honey was in. We mentioned this in the previous episode, and it was Black Sheep. It was starring Chris Farley and David Spade. And so my question is, have you seen this movie? No, I have not seen this movie. But you've seen Tommy Boy. I have not seen either of those movies, and I probably should have watched them, but I, I didn't. Oh, I didn't how do have that. you never seen Tom? Like Black Sheep, I kind of get because Black Sheep, as far as I can tell. Okay, by the way, in all due, in all seriousness, Black Sheep and uh, Tommy Boy, they were equal in Australia. I heard about them equally. Really? I never saw either of them, but they were they were popular movies when I was younger, uh, much younger, and they. They, but they were both like hits in Australia. They were hits. There was a lot of movies. This is the other thing that's funny about America. There's a lot of movies that were hits in Australia that did poorly in the box office. And part of the reason is because they release it in America. It does okay. Then they'll release it in like Europe or England and it'll do quite well. And they'll go, oh, now we're going to try and really promote it to these other countries. If it tanks in two territories, it's tank. But if it goes well in Europe or something, they'll go, okay, cool. Let's pump it to Australia, pump it to the UK, pump it to all these places. So there's a lot like um, the cable guy. You, you remember Jim Carrey's cable oh, guy? Oh, hold on. We're going to get to that because that's even oh, okay. linked to this movie. Oh, shit. I didn't even know. Okay, go I ahead. See, it's like it's like I can, I can read. It's, it's like, well, go ahead. Let's I know exactly what's going on. Well, so the things that we're really going to talk about here, first of all, is that the movie wasn't very well received. And I kind of <laughs> get it because Tommy Boy was such a goddamn masterpiece. Like, that movie is so funny. Black Sheep, I still love. To this day, I will watch that movie and I laugh my ass off, but I understand what people are saying when it's kind of like, oh, it's just it's a derivative of of, uh, of Tommy, Tommy Boy, Boy, where it's kind of the similar yeah, yeah. humor, stuff like that. <laughs> I still remember the first time I ever watched it, I think my cousin came over to the house. I don't know how my parents didn't think we were high because we <laughs> were giggling like we were stoned. We weren't. <laughs> we were just right. two like stone sober dudes Watching the movie, and my mom even said, like, the next day, she's like, you guys sounded like Beavis and Butthead laughing down there. Because we laughed the entire goddamn time. So, the movie wasn't well-received. It made just about $32.3 million during its U.S. theatrical run. And the reviews were not good. So, on Rotten Tomatoes, 
Uh, it has an approval rating of 28%. I would be a 28 that gives it a thumbs up. I think it's good. Uh, and it was based on 32 <laughs> critics, uh, their reviews. The site's consensus states, quote, Chris Farley and David Spade reunite to diminishing returns in Black Sheep, a comedic retread that succumbs to a wooly plot and sophomoric jokes. Audiences surveyed by CinemaScore gave the film a B-plus on a scale of A to F. So that was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. But okay. if you think about it, the audience, you know, if it's something that we can go giggle and laugh at, then that's that's perfectly fine. You want to take right. this next one? So this is where we get to Siskel and Ebert. <clears throat> Gene Siskel? Okay, hold on a second. I, I, I'm, I haven't read this, so I'm going to stutter on it. It's a pretty film critics. So. Gene's Okay, so prepare yourself for this. <laughs> film critics Gene Siskel and Robert Ebert gave the film two very big thumbs way down. Damn, with Siskel admitting that Black Sheep was one of only three films he ever walked out on. The others being Million Dollar Duck and Maniac. No, I don't, I don't know those ones. That's the thing. It's like Siskel, they, those are so bad, you never even heard of them. Yeah, Siskel stated several times that he did not like Chris Farley and thought of him as a terrible actor, stating at one point, I hate Chris Farley. He just rubs me the wrong way. I knew John Belushi. I knew John Candy. He's no John Belushi or John Candy. Wow. Ebert, who gave the movie thumbs down, called it not only one of the worst comedies I've ever seen, but one of the least ambitious. That's fucking cold. It doesn't even feel like they're trying to make a good movie. A few weeks later, during their televised review of Happy Gilmore, Ebert tried to defend Farley, saying that he thought Siskel was too hard on him and that he believed that the, the right script, Farley could be good in a film if he had the right script. Fucking, all right. Well, because he had, remember, he had a lot of side parts in a lot of those movies where he was the bus driver, like in, um, not yeah. in Happy Gilmore, in Billy Madison. He was the bus driver. Yeah, he was great. You know, Veronica is one fine so piece of age. Yeah. <laughs> in her, we got it on. <laughs> so the opinions from some other reviewers here were mixed. Uh, in his review, Richard Leiby of the Washington Post. He wrote, Farley and Spade managed to wring humor from a series of juvenile setups and predictable pratfalls. Yeah. Barry Walters, Barry Walters oh, of the San Francisco. I'm taking it. San Francisco Examiner wrote that there isn't one. Oh, man, come on. There isn't one shred of slightly intellectual wit in the film. That's the point. Dig yeah, it. There's like it's so there's a few scenes that to me just really stand out because. The, the premise of the movie is it's Chris Farley, his brother's running for governor of Washington. Um, God, and I can't even remember what David Spade's whole role. I think it's to, like, babysit Chris Farley. Like, it is in Tommy Yeah, I Boy. think, yeah. But the, the yeah, whole it's scene the same, they, It's the same like, movie. When they're in the cabin and, like, the roof blows off. Like, it, it's, yeah, just, totally. it's fucking hilarious. And, yeah. yeah. So yeah. around this time, Chris Farley. Here's your, here's your cable guy stuff. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Chris Farley was being offered $3 million for the lead role in Sony's The Cable Guy, 1996. Right. The original Cable Guy script was totally different from the finished product, as it was more of just kind of a simple, fun story. While they were going through all the pre-production with Farley, somehow the Cable Guy script made it to Jim Carrey, and he wanted to do it. Because right. Carrey was the more bankable star, Sony let Farley go and went with Carrey instead. They had also brought on Ben Stiller and Judd Apatow, who wanted to turn it into a dark black comedy, which is obviously anybody who's seen Cable Guy. It's clearly what they did with that. Yeah. Uh, they were going to pay Carrie $20 million, and it was the first time anyone had broken the $20 million ceiling. And for Farley, Paramount had exercised the option clause in his two-picture deal with them, forcing him to do this film instead. 
Sony did pay Farley for Cable Guy, but Paramount only paid him $1 million for Black Sheep. So he had to do Black Sheep because they passed him Cable Guy. That's why and Black Sheep was Paramount made. Paramount was like, you owe us another movie, so you're going to go do this movie. Oh, man, that makes so much fucking sense. That's so that I'm so honestly, man, hats off to you. Great research. I'm really glad I know that I genuinely am because I love Cable Guy and I love yet. Yeah, there's no one in the room. I love <laughs> I love the fact that Cable Guy was arguably Jim Carrey's US flop. And there was a lot of um, it was a flop considering that they paid him $20 million for the film because he was coming everybody up was like expecting, liar. Everybody was expecting Ace yeah. Ventura or The Mask. Yeah. And it was and it yeah. being a dark comedy. It just didn't yeah. do as well. But it became a cult hit, like especially. Oh, it's, a, it's such an amazing movie. Like and that and the funny thing is that uh, going, we're going to wrap up on this. The first time that Silverchair, my favorite band in history, the first, I think it's the first um, movie that they were on was a song called Blind, where the jousting scene happens. The jousting scene where he goes ape shit on um, Matt, Matthew Broderick. That song is called Blind, and it's off the first EP from Silverchair that they ever released. And that was the first time that I went, oh my God, that's the band that I love that's from up the street. You made the connection. And they're on like, this is like the biggest movie in the world. And it was one of the triggers that made me go, oh, maybe I could really be like a, an international. If I if I really wanted to be in rock and roll, I could do international because those guys are from up the street. And that's a Hollywood movie. So it all, them playing, Silverchair playing MTV and coming around and then the movie at the same time, there was a few little triggers that made me go, oh, I could do that. And that was one of them. Yeah. So there you I go. Could, so that's a nice place do, to wrap I up. I could on. do that. I could do that. I could like. do that. That's what I told I uh the kids as I was uh, doing career day for them today. <laughs> I gave them the quick history of how I had a whole bunch of crappy jobs. And and my kid even told me afterwards, he goes, you didn't tell them about how you used to roll pretzels, Dad. <laughs> what? <laughs> my first job when I was in high school, I worked at the Neon Pretzel oh, at the Town Center. Right, right, right. And she goes, you didn't tell them. And I was like, ah, I didn't think it was pertinent to the story, but you can go ahead and tell them I used to roll pretzels if you want. <laughs> so I was like, I worked at a lumber yard. Better than telling them you used to roll blunts. <laughs> Used to. Whoa! On that. What? Oh, it's illegal right. in Texas. It's illegal in well, Texas. It's not illegal in New Mexico, which is right across the street. Do so you walk across the street and come back? <laughs> no comment. Um, you work for a real place now. So, um, <laughs> the uh, anyway, that was we're wrapping this up. Thank you yeah, very much yeah, for watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of rambled. Podcast. We kind of rambled a little bit there. But that's that a good. But that really is good. We should have um, a thing that's like we should have a thing at the beginning that says that there's an amazing piece of information at the end. For little, little. <laughs> so for the people that so don't that they, fucking they, do, dude. But I'm telling you. So here's the thing. So um, I had mentioned to Shim how I had kind of kept recording. Even when we wrap up the episode and we get the the class dismissed and everything else, mm. and I kept it rolling, and Shim's concern was, well, are people actually going to stay tuned in if they think that the episode is over? Apparently, most people are because at least last time I checked, it still had a it's called a retention rate. Like, how long are you listening? So, is it right. one of those things where Shim and I we start rambling about soaked in bleach and Kurt Cobain being murdered by Courtney Love? Is all of a sudden yeah, a huge keep... drop off because people were like, "I came here for Mud Honey, you son of a bitch." Yeah, but no one did come here. People came here for us and Mud Honey, but then when they Courtney Love did Courtney did what? And be like, that's Co more people Kurt. know Courtney Love than Courtney. 
More people Courtney. know Courtney, Courtney than Mudhoney. Yeah. So, but yeah, so um, I, I, I had checked it out, and I guess everybody was continuing on. So we're calling that part of the episode the encore for you because I figured. The encore. At this point, go. dude, is there a band other than System of a Down that doesn't do an encore? Like, think about it. I think that's the only um, band I can I've think seen of live. one, but I'm not sure if it's classy to mention them. Nirvana. And anyone who knows who I'm talking about. Yeah, that, they probably don't exist anymore. Who? Come on. It, it has yet to be announced. Who's your but, band? Um, no, no, no. Huh? No, I can't th- I can't think of any legitimate bands that actually don't do... Oh! Elvis Costello. He doesn't do encore? I know that's random as fuck, but I'm like, I actually think I've read somewhere that Elvis Costello doesn't do encores. All right, so if he, he, he does, he make plays sure you call him out on his bullshit. Yeah, because he's go and, lying. Someone go and look up. Go and look up. Elvis Costello doesn't do one calls and write in the comments section, yay or nay. Yes, don't look it up, Brandon, because you look. Uh, no, no, I'm like, I'm their playing. Fucking I'm job. Almost spilling my water. I'm playing with my stickers. Playing with your. These stickers. are the ones that I took as we're just we're kind of rambling here, but you know what? We'll make this the encore. So let's wrap up, and then we'll and then this will be the encore. It's a sticker talk. His name is okay. Shane. He's the rock star. His name's Brandon. He's the DJ. Class dismissed. <laughs> Okay, so and then we your... just keep fucking talking. So here's yeah, the encore. Here's okay, encore. so go ahead with what you're talking about. So these are the stickers. Look at look at that's the that's the amount that I took. That's, so I ordered a hundred. I I ordered a hundred of each. I took thirty of these. Mm-hmm. I took uh, twenty of these, and I took I think fifteen of these. Yep. To uh, I have those to give away. And I felt bad because I when I went to go talk to my kids class today i thought i had enough for oh you kids. forgot them i was gonna no i had them i thought yeah. I, I thought i had enough to give her class i didn't realize that they were taking two fourth grade classes and putting them together so uh, when i walked in and my kid even math. warned me too god god adiana god bless you because i walk in and she's sitting right by the front door and she sees me kind of like poking my head through the window and she's like, daddy, daddy. And she's kind of like, you could see the nervousness on her face. And I walked in and she immediately, she's like, I don't think you're going to have enough stickers because it's two classes. <laughs> and I was like, and I looked down. And then your face dropped. I'd only like, grabbed, oh God, I, I think I had like 20, <laughs> I had 20 of these. And then I had five of the cross-eyed bear ones because these were going to be the ones Which that I gave away. Well, they'll I, totally get the reference. Oh, they're yeah, not going to fucking, they, they love it's a sticker. Ones. They don't give a shit. So... <laughs> The whole point was going to be every kid was going to get a Brandalorian sticker, and then the kids right. that guessed the like my trivia at the end, like I I started the whole thing by doing a presentation. I wrote uh, "hello" in binary code on the board because I I'm, I was explaining to them how you know playing video games, software development, and all this other stuff. I made it exciting. Wow, um, that's actually really actually cool. Uh, so I wrote that on the board. Mm, I know. So yeah. I had to, a few questions for them. Like one of the things I brought up was a typical iPhone app has 50,000 lines of code because then I also talked about computer programming and how we have programming languages so that we can talk to computers that way. I know this is super exciting. So I was going to give the stickers to those kids, the ones that got them right. So they ended up getting one of these because I figured that these would be the ones that they would want. And there were some kids afterwards who went up to my daughter and they were like, can you you get me one of your dad's stickers? (laughs) 
So I told her, I'm like, you can charge them five bucks, but no. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) No, no, fuck it. Give it to them. No, dude, it's free advertising. They're going to stick this on stuff. We don't need free advertising. You know what we need? We need paid advertising. Take that fucking money. Um, No, uh, well, look, we still have money left over from Rockstar 101, man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just fucking sitting there, mate. I have to go. Um, but um, I will talk to you. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk later in the week. Stick but, um, as I, yeah, I've got, and I've got I might record some thing. of that too. Uh, Shim and I are gonna catch up, so he's got to go. Yeah, we should actually record that. Yeah, we're gonna do. We got to do a an administration call for the behind the scenes of the history of Rockstar or the history of Rockstar yeah! history of Rock Podcast One Hundred and One. Anyway, all right. Uh, we already. It's weird. I, we already did the sign off. I'm used to going like da da da, da and then yeah, saying well, bye. Well, this is the on. But um, so, but um, in just that case, I'll just say take bye. A, take a fucking bow. I'm fucking. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> all right, bye, all right I got a band. I love you, man. I'll all talk right. to you soon. All right, love you, bud. All right, bye. Bye, bye. <laughs>